You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 44. So I want to take a moment to thank all my subscribers for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and anywhere else you might be listening to the show, which also now includes Pandora and Radio.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd share the show with all your friends on social media and elsewhere and ask them to give it a listen and subscribe and give a review if they're so inclined. We'd really appreciate it. Now, I want everybody to keep in mind, we're coming down to the tail end of our first photography-related giveaway. You have a little bit more than 24 hours left to get your name in for the random drawing, and I'll give you more details about it at the tail end of the show. So this week, the first news article I want to talk about is the fact that Getty Images is going all royalty-free, and that, of course, sucks for photographers. Getty Images has announced that it will be transitioning all of its creative stock photography offerings to a royalty-free licensing model and ditching rights-managed licensing entirely, a move that will be more convenient for customers, but worse for photographers. The news was announced via email, and from a business perspective, it makes sense. Getty claims that it's seen a steady year-over-year decline in creative RM a la carte licenses over the last five years, with declines accelerating over time. While the company doesn't share any data to back up this claim, I believe it. It is almost the same with all of the newer paid and free stock photography platforms on the market. All of them have embraced the one-size-fits-all royalty-free licensing model. Quote, over the years, customers' needs have changed, reads the announcement email. Complicated licensing models create friction and customers demand simplicity. They want the most simple and most flexible access to relevant, authentic imagery, end quote. But while Getty goes to great lengths to point out how this great how great this move is for buyers and customers, the announcement all but ignores the other major player in this trio, which is the photographer. Beyond telling photographers when their rights-managed images will disappear from single-use image search by the end of January 2020, by the way, and explaining how they'll be allowed to use or resubmit those images once they've been removed, Getty only mentions the interests of photographers once in the entire email. Quote, this will benefit customers, writes Getty again, and provide an opportunity to grow overall licensing volume and revenue for both Getty Images and our contributors, end quote. While the volume of licenses purchased may indeed increase, the fact remains that will, contributors will lose control over how their licensed images are used. If you want to sell a stock photograph through Getty, the largest player in the game, you will no longer be able to dictate pricing based on use case, and the option for exclusivity disappears from the page entirely. The only options available will be sizing. And there are some screenshots in this article that I will share with you. This is via petapixel.com. Unfortunately, this move was more or less inevitable and probably won't change much 
for the photographers who are already selling their stock photography through Getty Images and iStock, royalty-free is already the default filter used when searching for images on Getty. And as the announcement point, points out, it all, it's also the preferred and dominant licensing model for our customers due to the simplicity, value, and quality available. It's just one more way that photographers are being asked to trade control for exposure to the largest possible audience of potential buyers. To learn more about this transition, you can read the full announcement and email here, and I'll include the link in the show notes for this episode. According to this, the RM model should be completely retired by November 2020, and RM images will be removed from the single image licensing by the end of January 2020. This change applies to creative image licensing only and will not impact rights-managed editorial stills licensing offered by Getty. So again, you know, it's bad for photographers, but to be honest, that's the way things have been going for the last few years as far as licensing for photography. You know, customers want more and more simplicity, and they also want to get cheaper and cheaper. So they no longer want to pay for exclusivity and, and rights use and stuff like that. And it's just the nature of the beast, and it sucks. I know it sucks. Believe me, I know firsthand. Um, I had one of my photographs purchased by National Geographic to be on the cover of their Big Cats textbook in 2015. I had the image in the market on 500px.com, and I was really, I mean, I was excited that I got my first sale on that platform, um, you know, and I made some money, not fantastic money, but not totally crap money either, but I was uh, one day doing a random Google image search of that lion photo, and it popped up in two places. One was a Russian business website, whom I sent a cease and desist to, and they did take the image down. And it also showed up on National Geographic, and I sent a cease and desist to them, and they informed me that they had actually purchased a license for the photograph to use on the cover of their book through 500px. And of course, as I mentioned in previous episodes, the one thing I don't like about sites like 500px or Getty Images is they sell your photo, but they won't tell you who they sell it to. Um, which kind of sucks, and I think that's kind of stupid. Uh, you know, a photographer. You know, I understand if you're if you're not going to do the uh, if you're going to do the royalty free licensing model, that's fine. I mean, if that's the nature of the beast, if that's where the world market is going for photography and photographs, that's fine. But at the same token, why the heck aren't we entitled to know who buys our images and who's using them? I mean, it looks great on our poor, you know, our photography website, you know, under the section where we list clients that our work has been used by, it'd be nice to know all of the people that bought your images. You could put that in your list of, you know, who you sold your images to, who your quote unquote clients are. So, uh, you know, that happened to me. And when I found out it was National Geographic and they used the image for a book cover, I was kind of pissed that 500px didn't push them to buy an exclusive license which would have netted me a lot more money. Um, but Nat Geo wasn't willing to go with an exclusive license, and that was why, of course, they wanted to use it on the cover of a book, and they didn't want to have to pay me a crap ton of money to use it on this book cover. So I kind of got shafted, but at least I can say I have a National Geographic cover to my name, which is more than a lot of people can say. All right, I don't want to beat on that subject too much, beat on that dead horse. Um, the next item I want to talk about Adobe is adding live streaming to its apps so you can stream your photo editing sessions. 
Now, I thought this was really interesting. Adobe showed off a lot of intriguing Adobe Sensei-powered tools and tricks during their annual Sneaks presentation, but one feature that's a bit more official didn't get a preview. Built-in live streaming. According to The Verge, who got to see the features in action at Adobe Max, in essence, it will act as an extension of Adobe Live. The live streams Adobe broadcast through Behance and YouTube by baking live streaming tools right into Creative Cloud applications themselves. The feature is being beta tested by a small number of whitelisted users of the Adobe Fresco painting app, and it works exactly as you might imagine. You simply press a button to go live, which generates a link that anyone can follow to watch and comment on your stream as you go. Scott Belsky, the Chief Product Officer for Creative Cloud, has high hopes for the feature as a powerful educational tool that could make our products go viral. For now, the feature is still in its early stages, but given the popularity of streaming platforms like Twitch, making live streaming features right into Photoshop or Lightroom would make it that much easier for photographers to turn their photo editing sessions into an opportunity to connect with their followers, build their brand, and maybe even generate a new form of income. So I do think this is really cool. And as the article says, <laughs> everything is going live streaming nowadays. I mean, you've got it on Facebook, you got it on Instagram, you got it on Twitch, you've got it almost everywhere these days. I'm really surprised Twitter hasn't jumped into the live streaming bandwagon yet. But I figure it's probably only a matter of time before they do. So I think this is definitely really cool. And as the article mentions, it'd be a great way for photographers to connect with their followers, build up their brand and possibly, you know, earn a few bucks, you know, generate a new form of income by streaming their photo editing sessions on YouTube, you know, where, you know, once they get to the point where they get enough subscribers and, and viewership and all that stuff, they can start earning Google AdSense revenue from the YouTube platform. So, yeah, that could be a really great thing. I might even have to give this a try down the road, see how it goes. Not that I have a lot of time for that kind of stuff right now. My day job keeps me pretty busy now. Although we are getting into the later part of the year where we have fewer and fewer daylight hours and fewer hours to do real estate work. So maybe I can play around with this during the winter months. Once it's available, we'll have to wait and see. But it is a really cool idea. And I think Adobe is really trying to be on the leading edge of this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I mean, like I said, the live streaming has been around for a little while now, but they're still trying to be one of the first editing platforms to allow their customers to live stream their photo editing. And that is really, really cool. Okay, so the next item I want to talk about, and this one's really sad. I had not heard about this story originally, and I caught it today on F-Stoppers, and I had to share it with my listeners. So two teens that killed Cleveland photographer face life imprisonment to be tried as adults. So apparently, this is the latest update in the shocking story that saw a photographer killed as she shot senior portraits. The two 16-year-olds responsible are due to be tried as adults. The pair are charged with murder, involuntary manslaughter, felonious assault, and reckless homicide after they pushed a large log over a cliff while the photographer was taking pictures below. The decision was made by a judge in Ohio where the two boys are due to be tried at the Court of Common Pleas. As per NBC4I, if convicted, they could be imprisoned for life. 
Photographer Victoria Schaefer was just 44 years old and in the middle of a in the middle of taking portraits of Hocking Hill State Park, or excuse me, at Hocking Hill State Park. Two months ago, when she was killed, the pair responsible have been named as 16-year-old Jaden Churchius and Jordan Buckley. Their involvement came to light after one text a friend to say he did something serious. Quote, Officers later ruled the falling tree was not the result of nature, and Ohio Crime Stoppers offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who could provide information leading to an arrest. Upon being taken into custody, the boys admitted forcing a 74-pound log off a cliff which fell more than 75 feet before hitting Schaefer. They have been issued a bond of $100,000 each. Now, this just makes me sick. I mean, this is this is what this world is coming to. That these teens thought it would be chuckles to just shove a log off a cliff onto somebody. And they didn't really stop and think about the consequences. I mean, this is an example of brain dead. I'm sorry, but it is. And we're seeing more and more of this in this world today. I mean, it's just so sad that so many people are that selfish, careless, and reckless to their fellow human beings. I mean, it's disgusting. I personally think their bond should have been set a heck of a lot higher than $100,000 each. I don't care if they are 16 years old. If you're going to try them as adults, set their freaking bond at a million dollars. They don't deserve to be out of jail, period. And I don't feel the least bit sorry for them after they did something that heinous and stupid. And uh, to ruin a woman's life over something, some stupid stunt like this, it's just sickening. It's totally sickening. All right, I don't want to stay on that too long, and I'm not trying to politicize my podcast or anything like that, so I apologize to my listeners. It just really made me mad when I read that story that these teenagers had no thought whatsoever for the poor woman down below that was just taking senior portraits at a state park, and they, you know, they, they killed her in the prime of her life. I mean, it's just sickening. But anyways, let me get on to the let me get on to more of the photography related stuff here. So, new firmware updates for the EF 400mm f2.8 LIS3 and the EF 600mm f4 IS3 are now available. Canon has released new firmware for its latest super telephoto lenses, the EF 400mm and the EF 600mm. Firmware version 1.1.2 incorporates the following enhancements. Number one, increases the manual focus speed when the manual focus speed switch is set to one or two. The speed when the switch is set to three, the slowest speed will be unchanged. Two, improves the image stabilization effect during handheld shooting with a slow shutter speed when used with the EOS 5D Mark IV. The EOS 6D, I'm assuming that's 6D Mark II, it just says 6D, but I'm pretty sure that's probably a typo. Or the EOS R. Uh, enables a full-time manual focus function during servo AF when used with the EOS 1DX Mark II. The lens must be sent to the factory service center in order for this function to be enabled. If the lens firmware is already version 1.1.2, it is not necessary to update the firmware. The lens firmware version can be checked from the camera's menu, and you can download the firmware updates at the links, which I will include in the show notes for this episode. Which is really cool that Canon has added these new functionality features for 
the focusing on these two super telephoto lenses. Um, now, again, it's only for these three specific model cameras, but at least there's some updating there with this new firmware. You can also check out these lenses for purchase at adorama.com, and those links will also be included in the show notes with this article. Now, a little bit of a deal we have going for you. The Canon EF 70 to 200 millimeter f 2.8 LIS Mark III USM is $1,519 down for a reg from a regular of $1,899. Now, the catch is these are for the refurbished versions of this lens, but Canon USA store currently has a stock of them, so if you want to get this lens for a good deal, you might want to head on over and buy one ASAP before the inventory runs out, because believe me, at this price, the refurbished stock will not last long, and you'll be able to find the link for that in the show notes for this episode. Now for industry news, Leica announces the Leica SL2. Now, it's interesting that Leica has a new mirrorless camera they're calling the SL2. I wonder if Canon could sue them because Canon already has an SL2 on the market. But, of course, it's a DSLR. Um, they've had it on the market for a couple of years. They've actually just released the SL3. But anyways, I digress. All right, so as of November 6, 2019, building on the foundation established in 2015 with the visionary Leica SL system, Leica Camera proudly introduces the Leica SL2, the storied brand's new icon and next evolutionary step towards building the perfect all-purpose camera. By listening closely to the valued feedback of photographers and existing SL owners, Leica made many efforts to push the envelope of technological innovation and performance while respecting its heritage of design and legacy. In addition to a technical marvel of pure performance and unmatched build quality, the Leica SL2 is also a joyous experience to use with improved ergonomics and more comfortable grip married to the well-established simplified three-button control layout, further unifying the Leica-designed language across multiple product lines. While cutting-edge new features such as in-body image stabilization unlocks newfound potential from leg legendary Leica M lenses, it simultaneously augments the growing selection of SL lenses, which are some of the finest optics Leica has ever produced. The Leica SL2 is the natural evolution of the innovative Leica SL, serving as a groundbreaking embrace of the future of digital photography and videography while paying homage to its respected history and lineage. The unprecedented resolution of the SL2 CMOS image sensor in full-frame format results in an unparalleled level of detailed rendition and image quality. Enormous dynamic range, a color depth of 14 bits per RBG channel, and a sensitivity of up to ISO 50,000 enable outstanding image quality in all lighting conditions. Even when combined with Leica TL lenses, which are designed for the smaller sensor format, the Leica TL2 and CL, the SL2 sensor still delivers an excellent image resolution of over 20 megapixels. In a major evolution of the SL, the Leica SL2 features a suspended sensor, which adjusts its position in order to quickly and efficiently compensate for camera shake. 
This in-camera method even makes image stabilization available to lenses that are not, not equipped with their own. Additionally, in multi-shoot mode, the tripod-mounted camera can record up to eight consecutive frames, whereby the sensor is shifted in half-pixel increments in between every exposure. This key feature results in images with an incredible quadrupled resolution of around 187 theoretical megapixels, leading to an extreme increase in detailed resolution. Despite significant technical improvements, the Leica SL2 is neither larger nor heavier than its predecessor and feels particularly compact to handle. This is due to the fully redesigned camera body whose hand grip and the edges have been subtly refined for easier, easier handling. Improved body design paired with increased durability make the SL2 the perfect companion for all forms of shooting. The SL2's IP54 certification ensures an elevated weather ceiling for more rugged situations, while a new option to turn off noise reduction during long exposures allows for more hands-free shooting. Less worry about the weather in environmental situations means photographers can focus more on getting the shot. Overall, the design of the SL2 recalls more of the iconic Leica identity and traditional design DNA elements that the brand has has become known and loved for. The Leica SL2 offers an innovative user interface whose efficient design allows photographers to focus their attention on the creative process. The design alignment of the existing M&Q systems makes the adjustment even easier for existing Leica photographers. The main recording parameters can be viewed on the rear display and adjusted quickly and easily with a simple finger tap. A click wheel, a joystick, and three strategically placed individually configurable buttons also contribute to a straightforward operation. Thanks to two dedicated status menus for stills and video recording, the parameters for either shooting mode can be adjusted entirely separately from one another, which is something that's really cool about these Leica cameras, is the ability that you can set custom configuration options for these buttons and depending on whether you're in photo mode or video mode, those same three buttons can be configured to do different things in each shooting mode, which is extremely flexible and handy, and one of the reasons why Leica shooters love those cameras so much. Featuring an L bayonet lens mount, the Leica SL2 is not only compatible with the ever-growing portfolio of SL system lenses, but also with the lenses of the TL system and with the legendary lenses of Leica's M, S, and R systems via adapter, providing more than 170 Leica lens options guaranteed to offer the right fit for any photographic scenario. As a member of the L-Mount Alliance, expands the scope of the possibilities even further by giving SL2 photographers access to L-Mount compatible lenses from both Sigma and Panasonic. The new Maestro 3 processor facilitates a superior operating speed that shines in many aspects of the SL2's performance. The autofocus is significantly faster and allows for a virtually lag-free shutter release in any, any shooting situation, which is further complemented by the new Smart AF mode, which autonomously switches between focus priority and shuttle release priority. Full-resolution recordings of consecutive images are possible at 10 frames per second with the focal plane shutter and 20 frames per second with the electronic shutter thanks to two UHS-2 compatible SD card slots. RAW files can be saved simultaneously in DNG and JPEG format. 
Now, I have always liked the idea that Leica is one of the few camera manufacturers that does support Adobe's DNG RAW file format, which is non-proprietary. And I really, really wish that Canon and Nikon and, and many of the other camera builders would embrace DNG because the files are smaller, you don't lose any of your original raw imaging quality, the dynamic range or anything, but they take up less space on your drives and memory cards. And it would be nice to just have one raw file format that's universal, that everybody uses and everybody works with, it would make things so much easier. The camera's electronic viewfinder now boasts a resolution of 5.76 megapixels, allowing for a large, entirely natural-looking viewfinder image. Simultaneously, the experience is further enhanced when using the touchscreen, which has increased in size to a 3.2-inch diagonal and now offers a significantly higher resolution of 2.1 megapixels. In addition to its great appeal for photographers, the Leica SL2 speaks the language of cinematographers as the camera is able to record up to 60 frames per second in Sin 4K mode and up to 120 frames per second in Full HD mode. Activating Sin mode transforms the SL2 into a manually controlled Sin camera as ISO becomes ASA, the shutter speed is marked in degrees on the rotary disc shutter, and the f-stops indicating the aperture ratio are replaced by t-stops, which measure the actual amount of light transmitted through the lens. Connecting audio equipment to the Leica SL2 no longer requires the use of adapters, as the camera now features a built-in headphone jack and mic jack, complemented by a fully-fledged HDMI connector for external monitors. The Leica SL2 is available in Leica stores and Leica boutiques beginning November 21, 2019 at a recommended retail price of $5,995, which to me is expensive for this camera, well, but, it, but again, it's a Leica. You know, a lot of people, a lot of photographers would really love to own a Leica, but they just can't see, they can't justify the cost of one. This one, I guess, isn't too terribly expensive, especially being that it is full frame and it is mirrorless, I believe, as well. For $6,000, yeah, it's a lot more expensive than a Sony, you know, A7R4 or the EOS R or the Nikon Z bodies, but it's also a Leica, so you're paying a premium for that premium name. Now, whether or not the name justifies the additional cost, I couldn't tell you myself firsthand because I've never touched a Leica camera in my life. But I know a lot of people drool over them. And like I said, there's a lot of photographers out there that would love to have one someday, but they just can't currently justify the cost. Now, with this article, there are some really awesome images of this new Leica camera that look absolutely stunning. And the electronic... Uh, or I mean, not the electronic viewfinder, pardon me, but the uh, the LCD on the top of it looks exactly like the black and white LCD on the top of the EOS R, which I do find interesting. And it's a cool design, don't get me wrong. I loved it when Canon went that route on the EOS R, and I think it was smart of Leica to use the same kind of design on their top LCD. It's just beautiful and elegant. That design to me, just it's beautiful and elegant. What more can you say? <laughs> All right. 
So the next thing I wanted to bring up is some Nikon news. The Nikkor Z58 millimeter F0.95S knock lens is now shipping in the United States. If you remember, I mentioned last week that the first of these lenses had arrived in Europe. Well, now it is officially shipping to the United States. The Nikon Nikkor Z58 millimeter 095S knock lens is now shipping in the U.S. from Amazon. And there's a screenshot show a pl order placed on Thursday, October 10th. Originally had an estimated delivery date of Friday, November 29th through Thursday, January 16th of 2020. But now the updated estimated delivery date is Saturday, November 9th, 2019 to Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. So if you want to jump on this lens, and it is a beast of a lens, and you're a U.S. Nikon shooter with the, either of the Z bodies, now you can go ahead and get this lens, and it'll be delivered a lot sooner than January of 2020. So you might want to go ahead and place your order on Amazon to get that unbelievably wide aperture lens. Another bit of Nikon news for Black Friday, the Nikon D750 will be $9.99. Best Buy posted online their Black Friday deals. Here are the Nikon listings. The Nikon D750 for $9.99, it's currently $1,197. The Nikon D3500 with 18 to 55 and 70 to 300 kit lenses for $397, available now already. And the Nikon D7500 with 18 to 55 and 70 to 300 lenses for $899, it's currently $999, but it will be dropping to $899 for Black Friday. Hopefully, there will be more offers from Nikon for Black Friday. We'll have to wait and see. The current Nikon rebates will expire on November 27th. So it looks like uh, Best Buy is going to have some great Nikon Black Friday sales for Nikon shooters. So you might want to bookmark Best Buy's website or remember to stop into your local Best Buy store on Black Friday. Although I wouldn't recommend it. I'd say you're better off ordering it at home on BestBuy.com and having it ship so you can avoid the Christmas shopping crowds, and they are insane on Black Friday. Okay, the last item I wanted to talk about in this week's episode as far as news and information, the Nikon Z50 now shipping and is currently in stock. The Nikon Z50 is now shipping currently in stock at Focus Camera, B&H in Amazon US, and Photo Hans in the Netherlands. Today, Mike Nikon published a new Z50 product video, which will be in the link for the show notes. There's also a new Nikon Z50 Digitor videos, and there's several of the videos here on this new mirrorless APS-C camera. You can check the Nikon Z50 availability at Adorama, B&H, Amazon, Park Camera in the UK, Wex Photo in the UK, Calumet in Germany, Camera Pro Australia, and Camera Canada in Canada. In the U.S., you can get $150 off on the Nikon Z50 two-lens kit at Adorama, B&H, and Amazon. I will include the notes to this article, or the link to this article in the show notes for this episode. All right, so now we are wrapping up episode 44, and I wanted to go ahead and make the final reminder mention on our first photography related giveaway. We are down to 
about 26 hours left for your chance to enter to win a fully licensed free copy of Luminar 3 photo editing software, which is a $118 value. Now, if you're wondering how you can enter the contest and you didn't go back and listen to the last few episodes, episode 40 was where I first announced the contest. All you got to do is subscribe to the Liam Photography Podcast. Once you're subscribed with, it, with, ever, with whatever podcasting software you use to listen to the show, take a screenshot showing you're subscribed. Head on over to Facebook and search for the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. You can request to join the group. It is a private group, and you do have to answer one question to join, and that is, what is the name of the host of this show? It is myself, Liam, or you can put Liam Douglas. Either one will work, and you will be in the group. Once you're in, you can look for the official contest post and upload the screenshot showing that you're subscribed to the show and you are entered to win. That's all you have to do. And the winner will be randomly chosen sometime this Sunday, November 10th. The contest officially closes at 11.59 p.m. on Saturday the 9th. And the winner will be contacted via email or Facebook, whichever they prefer, to be informed that they've won and how to collect their prize. So you've got only 26 hours left, folks. You better get out there and get your entries submitted. Now, additionally, once you're in the Photography Podcast Facebook group, you're welcome to upload five photographs every 24 hours. They must be your own original work. Please do not share other photographers' work in the group. Even if you have their permission, that will get you banned. Now, you can upload a photo every few hours throughout the day if you want, or you can upload all five at once and let Facebook make its little slideshow thing. You can also request creative criticism by tagging your posting with CC Please, and myself or one of the other photographers that are a member of the group would be happy to give you some creative criticism and pointers on how you can up your photographic game. All right, I want to thank everybody again for subscribing, listening, and reviewing the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook, or Liam Photography Podcast Show, excuse me. And I will see you all again next week in episode 45.